watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast, with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Uh, I'm well. What was cracking you up there? Uh, so you went uh, one full notch higher on volume <laughs> than you usually do for the intro music, and I love messing up the intro because it makes you so mad. <laughs> And all I wanted to do, I like, I started laughing because I wanted to just say really quietly, it's pretty loud. You know, it's always too quiet. I always have to adjust the volume up on the oh, intro. Good to know. It's not too quiet in my ears. It was pretty loud in my ear holes. Yeah. Um, I kind of just went for it. But I've also, I've found that I think when I whisper things like that into the microphone, the sound floor grabs it and, and tears it out. Because uh, when we had Mike on a couple weeks ago, I whispered a lot of things into the microphone. And... On listen back a couple times, I haven't been able to find any of them. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I definitely muted some of that. You muted most of my dialogue. <laughs> I've listened to it a couple times. But like, man, I really felt like I was a part of this conversation. You know, sometimes, sometimes I have the ability to just mute entire chunks. So if someone's talking over someone else, or if they're, you know, if if you are talking over someone else, you can own that. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. That happens. I, I mean, it's it's pretty regular, actually, that we have to just pull out entire chunks. Like when we had Mark last week, uh, you know, we're on Skype, and so it's a, the talking over each other thing happens incidentally. Um, it also prioritizes uh, microphones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Skype prioritizes the microphones. Fortunately, we had audio that we were able to use that, that, didn't, that didn't use the Skype software. But still, because we're talking through skype it sounds like we're not but then it actually just sounds like we're talking over each other versus if it was the skype recording it might there might be some context there so yeah i actually wound up muting you a lot yeah we're just a rabble right i, I use order of precedence so you're always the first one that gets muted yeah and then if we have a guest that person gets muted next mm -hmm. you know in order of precedence i i don't get muted all that often and i would say i'd even go one lower <laughs> than the sound effects yeah, no, sound effects. Sound effects get cut after yeah, I get they muted. They yeah. definitely take precedence over you. Yeah. Absolutely. I get that. Yeah. I know where I stand. <laughs> I know I know my contribution to the team here. Andrew, how are you? Good. I'm kind of tired of feeling like I've smoked a pack a day all the time. I don't know if you guys can hear it in our voices, but everyone is raspy in the Pacific Northwest right now. It's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Like today, I could tell it, it was supposed to be sunny because it was hot. <laughs> That was that's it. A, that's it, a looks good way. Like, it looks like November. I could tell that it was supposed to be a nice day. Yeah. yeah. Today would have been a nice day, yeah. barring the the cloud of smoke that we're living in. You, got, I mean, everyone's seen the pictures. They are not yeah. exaggerations. They're yeah. not edits. They're not so red. That's a that's a little bit of a dramatization it, it after the first pretty, day. Yeah, that's right. It was pretty uh, red the first day and a half, two days. But then now it just looks like November. Right. It, the whole day looks like. A misty morning yeah. is what it looks like. Yeah, from like 6.30 to 8.30 a.m. November 18th. Right. That's our life now. But it's hot, so it's it sucks. This is what Florida feels like. Yeah, super humid, really muggy. Yeah. And just shitty. That's right. Sorry for you Floridians who yeah. haven't le left, left yet. <laughs> who haven't yet abandoned the state. That's what I was trying to get, but I got stuck. <laughs> Florida, man, get stuck <laughs> while recording podcast. So, other than that, I mean, pretty normal week, 
right? You're living that bachelor life. Yeah, living the bachelor life. My wife got stuck. My wife and kids got stuck in California, Northern California, um, which some places of Northern California is is pretty bad. Where they're at, pretty okay. Um, but yeah, they are not technically stuck now. They could get back, but it just seems like a lot. Yeah, to come up through Ashland and Medford when. They're on fire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no reason so, to drive through that. Yeah, Kim works remotely, so he's just made the decision. Why don't you stay down, get some time with the fam, and let the kids have it? Because, you know, kids aren't going, aren't back in school yet, so it's a little bit of extended summer. I think they're going to come back this next weekend. And mostly you needed some time to clean up the disaster of McDonald's wrappers and beer cans. <laughs> <laughs> I did need time for that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, it's... I, I was saying you came over here and I was like, I'm sorry, the house is a little messy. I'm a bachelor. But I was like, you know what? Actually, it looks cleaner than usual. And you know why? It's because there's not the two tiny humans that just are tornadoes. That's right. For a guy who has had no responsibility to clean anything for two weeks, I think it's looking pretty okay. Yeah. I would would even venture to say good. Hey. Hey. You're welcome. So uh, we're talking about watches today. Sort of. Sort of. Talk about things about watches. And we should dive into it because we have, we've bitten off quite a bite. You think? I think this is a good, I think this is a, this is going to require some mastication. So you already know, or you probably already know, unless you're not paying attention. No, we've titled it something wholly different this week. (laughs) Episode 99. The Blue Watch. (laughs) The Blue Watch. That's right. Blue Watches. Uh, So today. You know, I suggested red watches because I don't think there are nearly enough red watches. You know, there there are not enough red watches. Uh, our good friend, Bo Aggressive Timing Habits, um, is a big fan of the red watch. And so I like to follow his page. And if, and if we were going to talk about red watches, I was going to grill him. But instead, we settled on ISO. ISO. Uh, ISO? ISO. Well, okay, so, so we'll get back to that. So oh. the, the International Federation of the National Standardizing Association was started... In 1926. Which is crazy. And ISO has its roots in this International Federation of the National Standardizing Association, acronym ISA, I-S-A. Figure that one out. So ISA did, that's that's where ISO has its roots in, is Mm -hmm. ISA. Uh, And in 42, ISA was disbanded for somewhat obvious reasons. Um, Why? You know, there was a there was a bit of a, a skirmish, a scuffle, a scuffle, <laughs> and so so ISA was disbanded, and then in 1946 we've got this newly formed United Nations, and they're setting up committees, and they're trying to think. You know, well now we now we're together. What can we do? So United Nations, they set up the Standards Coordinating Committee, the UN. SCC. To, to what end was this to standardize? Because they didn't they didn't fix the metric and imperial systems. That was that was a bridge too far. <laughs> that was certainly a bridge too far. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the UNSCC, they approach, in 1946, they approach the dregs of ISA, and they say, hey, why don't we get this, why don't we get this ship sailing again? And so they meet October 1946, 25 delegates of the group formerly known as ISA, and this UNSCC group, uh, and sort of make some plans. ISO is formally started a few months later, February of 1947. ISO is founded. So ISO 
you'll notice the International Organization for Standardization. International Organization for Standardizing. Objects? Standardizing. Th- that acronym doesn't line up. No. It doesn't line up. Now, if you go to, if you go to ISO's website, they'll say it's not actually an acronym. Rather, what it is, ISO is Greek for equal. And they'll say, we use that word, ISO, because we don't want to have to worry about having the acronyms be different depending on your language. Now, they made that up. <laughs> they, they found a good answer. They made that up. Almost 100%. There's no evidence that they ever discussed that at, the, at these original meetings. Um, it's what you might call a backronym. Yeah. It's a backronym. So, so may, maybe not true. Kind of a fun story. And in any event, it's, it's what that means today. ISO is Greek for equal. It's not an acronym. Rather, it's a word for the name of the International Organization for Standardizing. Too easy? Sure. So as you may or may not know, ISO has several products, but their main product is the international standards. They also make a bunch of technical reports, specs, guides, that sort of thing. But their main All founded around their standardization practices, principles, and whatever. That's right. That's right. And their main product is these international standards. Now, this is a set of documents. They're all pay-to-play. If you want to get the text of any international standard, you've got to go to ISO. You've got to purchase it. Single licensee. Single licensee, yes. Yep. So if we bought it, we couldn't share it with each other. Or you. Well, I guess... We, 40 and 20, could buy it. To what end? I don't, I don't know. I don't know why we would buy it. I'm just saying we could buy international standards. Yeah, but we and then we share could it. both share it. We could share it with each other. Yeah, but we are an entity. We are one. That's right. <laughs> you complete me. <laughs> um, now, there are approximately 345 billion, 274 million, 430. 38,116 international standards. Plus or minus. I made that number up. Yeah. I, I totally made that up on the fly. Yeah. It was it credible at it, all? It seemed pretty good, yeah. So it's not written down on my paper or anything. I just made it up. I just said digits. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you could you could ramble off in, in sequence was... Professional bullshitter. Yeah. So there, in any event, there are... A metric motive, fuck ton. A metric fuck ton. There are two main international standards that apply to watches. And that, well, there's a bunch, actually. Well, so there are a bunch. There's, a, but there's also That's a why I said up. main. That's why I said main. The, the two main standards that apply to water resistance in watches. We'll stick with that. Yeah. Okay. You like that clarification? That's important. You gave a head nod. Yeah, because like there's... a resigned head nod. Yeah, because there's like... We've already talked about ISO standards when it came to shock resistance and to anti-magnetism and uh, to off-gassing. Like there's... They have a standard for everything. That's right. <laughs> there, there must be an ISO standard for shoe tying. There just must be. There is. Yeah. I looked it up today. Yeah. It was, oh, uh, like what, 4413 or something like that? It had exactly. to be in the early days. 4413, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So two main standards that apply to water resistance and watches. ISO, the, the one we all know and love, ISO 6425. Dive watches. Which is the standard for dive watches. And then ISO 22810. Or 2281, which I hear, I see it referred to as 2281 sometimes. Uh, but 22810 is the standard for water-resistant watches. Somebody must have put it in an Excel spreadsheet and didn't 
run it out to five digits and it just dropped the zero. <laughs> they off. dropped the zero. Yeah. That's right. So these are the two main standards and for for water resistant watches. Yes. Yes. The, the, we're, and these are the two that really we're going to be talking about today. So starting with 6425. Now, famously, famously, the Seiko SKX is one of the few truly affordable watches. Less affordable now than it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. But one of the few very affordable watches that carries this ISO, ISO. So that's the ISO versus ISO, right? It's mm-hmm. a Greek word, not a, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the SKX 007, you know, 009, that full line of SKX watches all carry this ISO 64 standard for dive watches. Whereas the Mako um, and any number of micro brands or dive watches that you can find in the market don't. And if they do, they're going to tell you because ISO 6425 testing is something you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. You have to have performed and you have to pay for it. Every single watch that says the word diver's watch is subject to some portion of the testing. It's not sample. It's not type testing. It's the whole batch. Every single one of these. Now, the ISO 6425 standard is a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it is an incredible amount of testing just for the water resistance. Within that, there's also additional ISO testing for magnetism and ISO 764 and for temperature uh, uh, resistance. All these other shock, shock resistance ISO 1413. That, that all is it really 1413? It is. I've got it written down here. <laughs> uh, all these other tests that have to be done encompassing this water resistant test. And it is rigorous. It's it's like a destruction test. Well, so tell- it gave me all kinds of new hope for the things that I could do to my watches. <laughs> well, so why don't we talk so, a little bit about what it is? So so it's not just, hey, we submerge it. It's hours in uh, pressure chambers and then temperature changes and then condensation tests tests on the dials and i didn't write down the full details of it just just run through run through one yeah so so for 6425 the the main the main requirements it's got to have 100 meters of water resistance yep 100 meters not 200 nope 100 meters of water resistance it's got to have a time pre-selecting device Mm -hmm. with increments of time so this is this is where the friction bezel went yes. away was with ISO testing. So it has to be a time selecting device with five minute intervals that can be manipulated that locks in locks in place, but is is not it's subjected. It's protected. Was the the wording is not subject to accidental actuation or something yes. some kind of like antiquated language like that, where it has to lock in place, has to be deliberately manipulated to adjust so that's where the friction bezel went this answered my question yes yes so uh and it it doesn't have to be a a bezel it's either got to be a protected bezel or a digital timer Mm -hmm. it's got a time up to an hour with five minute increments uh must also meet standards for anti-mag and shock resistance which we discussed too it's got to do a thermal shock test and i've dubbed this thermal shock test as the hot tub slash ice water test yeah where it's induced at 40 to 45 celsius i think 45 celsius is about 113 degrees fahrenheit 
I think it was 40 to 50. It was a, it was a 50 degree, 50 degree Celsius jump to a 40 degree Celsius. So for, for, yeah. For 45 to 13, yeah. I think is, is what they, what they want. 13 is pretty chilly. It's not ice water, but it's pretty chilly. It's real fucking cold. Um, it's got to do, uh, an immersion test. The immersion mm-hmm. test is minimum of a hundred watt meters of water resistance for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got followed by a condensation test. The condensation test, I thought this was the most interesting thing, and it was the thing that I had never really considered. Now, the immersion test is the only one that every single watch needs to do. So that is at 10 bar for an hour. Every single SKX007 is tested at 10 bar for an hour. And then they drip some water on the di- on the crystal. Right. <laughs> and then Just they drop, drop, drop. And then they do this thing called a condensation test. Now, this condensation test is sample size is sampled. Mm-hmm. All the rest of these tests, besides the immersion test, are what we call type testing. And there's an ISO standard for that too. I think it's shocking two eight five nine zero for type testing. Which this is, is a self licking ice cream cone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the immersion test, every watch. Now, the condensation test, right? Uh, that's the one I thought was the most fascinating. What is that? When you, when you read about that, what does that look like to you? So I had to read it a bunch of times and I'm still (laughs) not fully confident that I understand it. Sure. So what I'm imagining is they have this, this batch of watches that have just all come out of their little 10 bar pressure chambers and they pick their random sample and they put them all out on a belt. They pop the pressure chambers and then what it sounded like what it sounded like to me was they get first a visual examination to see if any condensation has built up because part of that 10 bar it's also at a, at a certain temperature. So when it's reintroduced to the ambient temperature, you're going to potentially see condensation, but then they quickly cool the crystal with some with an application of more water. Is that what that's what I gleaned from it, right? You know, I couldn't tell if it was the crystal or if it was the glass plate that the watch sits on. So they take oh. a so they take a glass plate and they heat it up pretty warm, 115 degrees or so, not quite that high. Uh and then they put water either on the crystal of the watch, colder water, much colder water, either on the crystal of the watch or on the glass of the plate. And I was not able to glean that information. So, so it seemed to me like it's going on the crystal because otherwise how else would the would the condensation form on the inside of the crystal for for system failure? Yeah, I was I wasn't sure. I think maybe it's if it comes up into the watch from underneath, but but then you'd have to get that cooling of the crystal for, right. for the condensation. It, it's an interesting question, and I'd like to see this happen. I'd like to see this conducted because I'm not sure. I don't know. Teach me. So regardless <laughs> of how they do it, I don't know. It's some sorcery. There are they things. they do some temperature changes, add some more moisture, and if there's condensation on the inside of that crystal, that's a <laughs> system failure. Reject. Boom. Didn't make it. <laughs> Does the whole lot fail? Uh, I th- I think just that watch fails. Okay. But maybe the whole lot because we're doing type testing at this yeah. point. So I feel like the whole lot would fail. Now, the problem with that test is that if it's not being made, if that watch wasn't produced in a super controlled manufacturing environment, and maybe say the humidity was a little higher on the manufacturing floor that day, you're going to get a false failure. You're going to show less water resistance because of the moisture that's already inside that watch as a result of the humidity, however slight, will be affected and condense by these 
drastic temperature changes. So say, for instance, you're making watches in the Philippines. I don't know who would do that. Ooh, yeah. Say, for instance, you're making watches in the Philippines in a high humidity environment. That's something you're going to have to control for in the manufacturing process. If you want to achieve this ISO certification. That's right. Which, if we're being honest here, I don't know that it's worth it. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> such a nut roll. It makes watches that have it cooler to me. Yeah. Because they've been basically beat down with a hammer. Yeah. I, I mean, it is really cool. You know, reading about this stuff, it is really cool. But do you need it? Uh, you know, I, I think there's an argument for yes. And so, so let's continue. Can we talk about the other tests that yeah, they so, do? So let's, let's finish up with 6425 here because well, we're almost done. We're almost done. So, so we've got the, we've also, in addition to the things we've talked about, we've also got the overpressure tests, which is 10 bar for two hours mm -hmm. and five newtons of pressure directed at the crown. I don't know what that looks like. Um, and then we've got immersion tests, which I, is... I punch four newtons of pressure just with a single impact. <laughs> is that true? I have no idea. I don't know what a newton is is translated <laughs> into pressure. Yeah. It's, again, sorcery. But, again, five newtons of pressure applied directly to the crown while under pressure. That's right. For, for, for time. Yes. For time. And then the immersion test, which is the watch is basically sat in 30 centimeters of water for 50 hours. And then the salt corrosion test mm -hmm. which is a 24-hour immersion in salt water which is really not to check water resistance but to check its ability to resist corrosion salt corrosion exactly so every single watch does the two-hour test the 100 bar two-hour test the rest of the tests are type testing uh just to make that clear so you have to pay to get a 6425 certification that's the biggest differentiator between 6425 and 22810 mm-hmm because 22810 is not a test that you do, but rather it's a standard for how a manufacturer needs to make sure their watches meet the water-resistant standard. Yeah. So all watches, right? I understand this to say all watches bearing the word water-resistant that are sold in any member country, which... 162 nations. It's all of them, guys. I mean, look at the map. It is... Almost every single country on earth, China, Russia, it's everything. It's not Greenland doesn't, isn't, isn't a member country. They're not doing a that. lot of watchmaking. I don't think. <laughs> uh, Greenland's not, uh, you know, there's a, a few countries. I mean, very few though. Very, very few. This looks like uh, Donald Trump's red map, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're all Every single place is a, is a participating country. So if you basically, if you have a watch that says water resistant, theoretically, it complies with 22810. I would hope so. I don't know how it wouldn't. Arguably. Because 22810 sets out the standards not just for achieving it, but how to test it. And why lie? Why say it's got 30 meters of water resistance? People still buy watches with no water resistance, which does make me question how you're getting foggy khakis. <laughs> not you in particular, but... I get foggy khakis because I'm just kind of a swamp. Just, I'm a swamp yeah. butt, you, know? <laughs> you, you have not failed the humidity test. <laughs> <laughs> foggy dockers. It happens every time. Um, but it makes, me, it makes me wonder. These watches say they have 30 meters of water resistance. The people say they fog in the shower. This is... The, getting more acquainted with 22810 has made me much more confident in the water resistance of all of my watches. So on a general level, tell me what 22810 is. 22810 lines out what it means to be water resistant. All the steps that a manufacturer has to take for the manufacturer of the watch to make it water resistant. So these are the things you need to do. 
Then it lines out how you test these watches for their water resistance capabilities and presents basically the sliding scale of if it achieves this, then this. And it's what it, what it says to me is, it, and from my understanding, it's not the, it's where the first one fails, not necessarily the batch. Like the technology says it should, should achieve this, but you have to reduce to the lower level. If I, if I understood it correctly, I may not have. I think that is part of it, right? So, so again, this is not a test. You, you don't pay someone to do your ISO 22810 certification. No. This just says this is if you're going to put water resistant to X meters, X atmospheres, this is what you have to do to ensure compliance with the, our international standards, mm-hmm. uh, with with the international standards in order to sell a watch that says water resistant. This is what you have to do. Now, I think that because of the nature, this is sort of self, you know, self correct, self test your own work, right, or self check your work. Uh, I think that there's lots of room for play, and I'm sure this gets fudged. I'm going to bring an important caveat here. Please. 2010 and newer yeah, that, is where this really applies. That's Anything right. Anything pre-2010, you know, you're on your own. Post-2010 production, this is where you're going to see 22810 in effect and a lot more reliable. Yeah, and, and and it's not that 22810 didn't exist before 2010. It did exist. It was just not... It didn't have the same standards. It hadn't been revised, and it and it wasn't really a thing that companies had to think about. Yeah. So, but starting in 20, 2010, 22810 is really an important component of making a watch that says water resistant. I wonder if that has to do with seeing a increase in boutique and micro brands who wanted to achieve water resistance but weren't going to drop the money for the official ISO testing. You know, it's interesting. It's an interesting thought because I don't know the answer. Um, well, it's not interesting because I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, and it is still interesting. Um, n- notwithstanding that, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's possibility, right? You, you're seeing a proliferation of watch companies starting around 2010 and um, before, certainly. But you're yeah. seeing a, a much a larger growth, and imagining you're going to see far more manufacturers. So. A, a little bit of a siloing of manufacturers mm-hmm. who are reaching out to organizations to certify these products and coming back to the brand and being like, hey, it's going to be 50 grand. I'm like, mm, no. Right. No, let's, let's, <laughs> let's dial it back and let's do something a little bit more reasonable here. Yeah. So these manufacturers are having to work with this international standardization organization to refine the process and say, okay, this is what we want to achieve. What Ex- do we need to do? Excuse me. International Organization of Standardizing. I just, I just wanted to make sure we get it right. I'm leaving. <laughs> so the manufacturer chooses the testing procedures. There is a certain amount of room for the manufacturer to be able to choose how to do the tests. With that said, it's essentially the same fucking thing. Yes, but it's not being overseen or conducted. I wonder if you could hire somebody from ISA to just be on staff and just supervise your testing if that would be sufficient yeah i i don't know i i don't think you need to do that i, I think that you know to achieve your your isa certification your to, to achieve the dive watch. yeah your 6425 certification yeah i don't know how that works and in fact there is a very so a quick aside there's a very interesting post on the watch you seek 
dive watch forum sub forum uh that got posted i think four days ago today so by the time you're listening to this about a week ago chris vale doc vale of nth watches uh posted on the dive watch forum basically a thread saying hey i make dive watches and i think i make pretty serious dive watches my my sub line is this and that furthermore i've just reintroduced the devil ray which is a no shit Mm -hmm. kick-ass diver i feel like i'm having trouble connecting with the hardcore dive watch enthusiast and i don't know why and i'm asking you dive watch sub forum what am i doing wrong and this thread is already as of today 15 pages long 16 pages long and and it just seemed to be Every time I sort of clicked next page, it seemed like there was like 13 more pages. Like, right. What the fuck? <laughs> how many of them are neck beards? I'm wondering like a how many lot. people are trying to like just take a stab at at, uh, at Doc Vale at a distance to be like, if it was $400, I'd buy it. Yeah, well, there, there is a lot of that actually, uh, as you might expect. And I think that's okay. I mean, he's obviously asking the question and so he's going to elicit opinions, right? Why aren't you buying my watches? Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. And so all of the answers theoretically are valid. Yeah. Every answer, neckbeard answer, it doesn't matter. Every answer is theoretically valid. Oh, I'd own this whole line if they were only $400. But at one point, probably not well i can almost guarantee that it wasn't more than five or six pages in um that's as far as you got (laughs) the iso 6425 standard gets brought up and he addressed it directly it was one of his first few sort of addressing questions directly and he says i don't see the benefit to it i know my testing is every bit as good as 6425 testing and so i haven't seen value in that but Maybe there's value. Now, I'll say for my part, I don't think that's the issue. No, it that's not the buy that's not the selling point. No divers there are looking at their watch and be like, it's not 6425. You know. <laughs> so I don't think that's the issue. But the fact that it came up and the fact that he says, look, this is maybe something I need to look at. I don't know how much it costs. Uh, I assume it's extremely fiscally cumbersome. Um I and I, Everett, assume that it would make the cost of the watches a lot more, you know. An nth sub. I would hope so. An nth sub is already, I think, a seven hundred and fifty dollar watch, ish. Uh, so I imagine a twenty percent increase e- easily for, for that for that certification. E- easily, if not more, right? If not more. So there is there is something to be said for um, that type of bona fides, but I don't think. I mean, I don't think that's the answer to his question. But it's part of the conversation. At the very least, it's something that people are thinking about. Hmm. Is it, do you think it's something people are thinking about because it's something they want to be thinking about in that moment? Like they're just they're they're grasping at straws for why? Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Because I guarantee the person that didn't buy one of his subs or one of his divers didn't do it because it wasn't sixty four twenty five. Yeah, no, that, that's right. I mean, I've got my own thoughts about why nth watches, which I think are actually probably really good watches. Um, why nth at least there's a perception that nth struggles in the microgram market where other watches have really thrived i don't think there's anything i can point to about the watch itself that would lead me to believe it's not a fantastic watch i think there's some marketing things and and you know if (laughs) i'd be happy to talk about this with anybody who wanted to talk about it i don't think it's appropriate for today's conversation but yeah there's i don't think it's this 
But you had said before we started, the thing I'm most excited about talking about today is what all of this, what this ISO 6425 and 22810 um, standardizing standards, what these standards mean for us as watch collectors. And so I think it's a really natural way to segue into that. Because well, we talk about it all the time. I have to say it's a natural way to segue because it's so unnatural that I feel like yeah. this is awkward. So I'm going to call it a natural segue. Yeah. <laughs> this is a clean turning point. We've gone too far. Here's the cliff. We can jump or we can turn around. Let's turn. Let's turn. Turn. Around. And I think what it comes down to is is we, we've talked about water resistance a lot. A lot. A lot. And all watch people do. Yeah. We all, we, one of the, it's probably the second or third thing you mention, I mention, you mention, we all mention, when we're talking about any watch. Here's the dimensions, here's the water resistance. Yeah. It yeah, is, I would say you maybe you maybe mentioned style, right? So it's a it's a 40 millimeter flieger with 100 meters of water resistance. Ooh, where? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm intrigued. It's a 6425 certified flieger. Ooh. That sounds like some Gavox shit. <laughs> yeah. Michael Happy, yeah. I hope you're listening. Uh, but that's what, it, it's so important. And we've talked about this before. Every single one of my, well, only one watch that I own doesn't have more water resistance than I as a human do. All, everything, wait, 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 what? There's only, I only own one watch that doesn't have more water resistance than I, Andrew, do. Okay. Is it's a dress watch. It has none water resistance. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's maybe it wasn't a double negative, but it was like that's what I'm getting at. It's yeah, contextually maybe a double negative. I was having trouble sussing out the meaning. Okay. <laughs> it's it's your, you've got that Komodorsky. I'm really leaving. <laughs> I think that has thirty meters. Yeah. Maybe fifty. Yeah. I thought it was like none water resistance. Yeah, maybe no, it's only ten meters. Uh huh. Yeah. I don't recall. It doesn't matter. What it comes down to is that. Almost all of my watches have more water resistance than the human body. You know, another aside, ISO recognizes three languages, uses and recognizes three languages, French, Russian, and English. Interesting they don't recognize Mandarin. Yeah, yeah, I thought the same thing. Or British. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did we say that ISO was headquartered in Geneva? We didn't, we did, we forgot to mention that, but it's because, not shocking. Because where else, right? Yeah. Okay, carry what, on. What, and what a weird organization that they have so much time to just standardize shit that we're talking about water resistance standardization for wristwatches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that they have. I mean, it's uh, a man, it's a manufactured product, so I can kind of kind of dig it. But I there's there has got to be ISO requirements for cans of beer. I think that they have one hundred over a hundred thousand technical specialists that are contributors to the ISO standards. I wish I was smarter. <laughs> Andrew, do you want to be on an ISO committee? <laughs> I think, I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> you something should, just irrelevant. You should start a ISO standard for sous vide. Ooh. You should like just write them and be like, I'd like to be part of this standard. Yeah. I'm an expert because I've sous vide some things. And I watch every video that Google guy makes. Yeah. I I watch a lot of sous vide videos. Let's do it. I do some sous vide too. Is that? The, I think it's the verb. <laughs> sous vide. Yeah. That was sous vide earlier. Let's do it. Shall we? <laughs> Is it the, that guy Guga? Ah, shut the fuck up. Okay. So what it comes what it comes down to is that we piss and moan about water resistance 
for no reason. And then we start looking at watches that have that are just wildly overbuilt. And I'm thinking the the thousand meter Seiko. Sure. Sure. That got stress tested and failed it. 3,000 meters? Right. <laughs> or like or, a Raven Deep Tech or any or even, of these Uber. Or, or Michael Happy's watches that what were rated for three and failed at nine. Yeah. Or whatever, right? Yeah. When, I, I, I three still times remember the glee on his face oh, as man. he told us that story. I could, I'd, I'd like to just listen to his memoirs. Like I want him to write them and then read them, but like video read them. If you guys have never seen a video of Michael Happy talking <sighs> about watches. Or anything. Right. He is just, I mean, the second he opens his mouth, he emanates straight glee. Yes. I want to see him talk about something sad. <laughs> I bet it would be the same thing. I do too. That's why I think it'd be so weird. You'd be like laughing, but all crying. It'd be... So w- what we're getting at is how how do these ISO ratings, number one, how does the actual ISO certification, ISO, ISO, what are we saying? ISO. Okay. How does the Lizzo Greek certification... I do <laughs> How does it... Does it or does it affect us? It doesn't, for me, have any bearing on whether or not I'm going to make a purchase. Well, no. I mean, you you mean you're referring specifically to sixty four twenty five now? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. water resistance has a bearing on whether or not I'm going to make a purchase. Sure. So, I mean, I think that that's the bigger context, right? We've got these two standards. They both, and we should say we we sort of we we insinuated the twenty two eight one zero are the same standards as 6425 and they're not all of the standards are relaxed yes so they have to do the same tests they have to do the condensation test they have to do the stress test the thermo they've got to do shock anti-mag um testing still but they're significantly reduced metrics do you think that causes smaller companies to test to a higher standard and underrate their watches yeah, well, I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. I think a company like Anth, I think Chris Vale is, you know, he's saying publicly, I know my watches can pass it. We test our watches, and I know my watches can more than pass any of these standards. And I believe him, right? There's no reason in today in a modern micro brand world, this world that we live in, to suspect that they wouldn't, right? So it's easier than for a company to to shave 100 meters off their water resistance rating than to buy the credential. So I think that that's probably the world we live in. Yeah. I think right. I think for, for microbrands specifically, I think we're probably looking at 100 meter reduction generally. Like for, for dive style watches, probably a 100 meter reduction well, in exchange it, for not buying the cred. And so even with even with the ISO standard, with the 6425 standard, we, we know... That the that the requirements are all being met by the manufacturers at about 110 to 125 percent. So we know that they're internally mm-hmm. subjecting. So Unless Ro- it's Seiko, then it's about 400 percent, right? <laughs> I think Rolex and Seiko are both aiming for 125 percent minimum. You know, I think if you're Chris Vale or if you're Wes and Colin at Notice, or if you're if you're one of these guys who is making, you, you know, I know that Nick from Orion is very serious about this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I know if you're one of these guys making a watch and you're putting a number on it, you're really fucking sure 
that that number is accurate, which means the actual number is way higher, way higher. How, how much? Right? How much higher do you think? I'm I'm thinking double. I think between fifty percent and double. At at, at in most instances, we're going to see one hundred and fifty to two hundred percent of actual ability to resist water. That's my guess. And and it's you know that's not going to be true for every watch, but no, and and that's sort of the nature of not getting the certification is you can't test every piece isn't tested to meet yeah. the the QC because that's that in and of itself it's going through all the other QC and then the water resistance stress tests. You know, I think the most interesting part about two two eight one zero maybe not the most interesting part, but one of the interesting parts is. That 22810 requires the manufacturers, the, the sellers, to include a statement that says you have to maintain this watch. Yep. In order to keep the water resistance that we've specified this to, you've got to maintain this watch, which means, you know, practically, pragmatically speaking, it means, you know, changing your gaskets at an interval and and lubing your gaskets. And if you're, you know, we talked mostly today about the mechanical standards for, for watches. There's a slightly revised standard for quartz watches, which includes, you know, um, a, a battery end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they're basically the same. But, yeah, the end of, but the end of life is important because the last year, right. your battery acid eating the inside of your watch is going to greatly reduce its water resistance. That's right. <laughs> Also functionality. So, you know, it it, 22810 requires manufacturers to tell the consumer, hey, you've got to maintain this. This is not... You bought this. Now it's your problem. This is not a permanent condition. And without your maintenance, this condition evaporates. So do you think that it would be beneficial to store water-resistant watches in an inch of water to keep the gaskets wet? I I do not think that. Oh. I do not think. Okay, that. you know, you just hot take. <laughs> oh man, I how about feel like how about Vaseline? I feel like in twenty five words, you've totally derailed the show. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's kind of it, right? I, I mean, bigger picture is if you buy a watch that says water resistant on it, it's theoretically been subjected to some pretty rigorous standards, and if you want the sixty four twenty five watch. And I think that there's some intangible street cred that I'm okay with. There's something really cool about a $200 watch with a 6425 certification. That's right. It Absolutely. gets less cool with every $100 you spend. Right. <laughs> because it sort of becomes right. an expectation. Yeah, that's right. If you're going to buy a dive watch at, at, I'd say, north of $500, you sort of want that. Yeah, maybe, you want maybe that not, guarantee. Right? I'm, I'm not. I, mean, would I don't you, think. Would it you would, rather pay? Sorry. Would you rather pay for a sixty-five twenty-five, sixty-four twenty-five certification, or for Zeratsu polishing? What would you rather pay for? I'd rather pay for the polishing, but have the sixty-four twenty-five qualification. <laughs> but but like I said, it's not gonna it's not gonna affect my purchase of a watch. Yeah. Because I know I'm never going to buy a dive watch for the purpose of diving in it. I'm going to get into a pool up to my nipples. Yeah. And that's about as deep as I need to go. Yeah. I've been snorkeling. I didn't like it. Yeah. Sharks and shit. Well, and so it's important, right, to, to, there's some context here that's important. So Patty, when they certify divers, I think they certify divers to about 60 feet. It's it's less than 40 meters. And, and if you do the like open water advanced Patty certification, 
it's like 130 feet because yeah, because 40 meters is like 40 meters i think is 130 feet so the advanced open water yeah. certification from patty is less than 40 meters yeah so your 100 meter watch is probably okay i'm a pro i'm a bell diver Wear the helmet and everything. You know, I really like Jason Heaton. I sort of cut my teeth on the Grey NATO, uh, amongst others. But but right, the Grey NATO was one of the places that I was really comfortable with when I started collecting watches. Because, you know, Jason, in particular, Jason Heaton's tone and demeanor is just wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Jason Heaton is a big proponent of 100 meters is enough. And he's a real fucking diver. Like, not... Not, oh, I, I got my certification when I was in Mexico that summer. He's a real diver. Yeah, he does that. Yeah, <laughs> he does that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he's a big proponent of 100 meters, and he thinks that the water resistance arms race is maybe a little overblown. I, I'm, I'm I'm putting words in his mouth, and I maybe shouldn't be, but that's my, that's my take from his discussions on the topic. And, and I think that for good reason. You know, we have here, formally and in informally casually but also formally with our w objective watch ratings done sort of the same thing right there's a reason that you can't score more than 11 on water resistance you get 10 for 100 meters and for anything over 100 meters you get one point whether it's whether it's 150 a thousand or a thousand you get one extra point for that and that's it there is something to be said for not overbuilding everything. No, because when you, when you start to get to the thousand meters of water resistance, you're also getting 20 millimeter thick watches. That's right. And as fun as it is to look like you're in Star Trek and have some like communicator on your wrist, it's not a comfortable watch to wear unless you want to look like Popeye. So that's it. Hey, you know, we've been doing these, uh, I'm going to call them Stuff You Should Know episodes. Okay. Although that's we can't do that. We're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> but to the extent that we're doing these episodes, what do you guys think? Do you guys like this? I think you do. And we've gotten some positive feedback. But to that end, what do you think? And what topics do you want us to talk about? Because we'll talk about topics. This is fun. I really enjoy this type of episode. I like getting smarter. I also like getting more comfortable with my water resistance. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> now I'm not concerned about the SARB. In the water. I never, I wasn't before. Wear that thing in the hot tub, man. I don't, I don't do hot tubs. I get too hot. Unless it's snowy outside and then hot tubs. because you start off so hot. I do. <laughs> Andrew. There's nothing beats a hot tub in the snow. Other things, ready, go. Hot tubs in the snow. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, that was freestyle. That was. Yeah, that was. Because you can put your beer in the snow bank and then your beer stays ice cold you're way too hot but you have your cold beer it's it's delightful i i don't think that that segue was improper or un, unwarranted however other things andrew go okay so i made a couple purchases in the last couple of weeks you, you make so many purchases i you know I've, i i spend a lot of money going into hunting season because every besides watches like hunting is sort of other thing that i spend money on that is your other thing hunting yeah. yeah um so every year i buy like new stuff or i upgrade things and this year i decided to upgrade my butchering kit can we talk for a second that you're on a pro team you're like on a hunting pro team i am not 
you're not old that's it well i sort of okay i am a little bit yes but it's it's not like a super selective exclusive thing it's because i i'm a type of person who puts gear through the ringer and they're like hey you know what good gear feels like and what it doesn't feel like i don't care how selective it is it's awesome that you're a professional hunter i mean i pay them money still whatever i just i just pay them probably not even cost Okay. Probably still more than cost. <laughs> Regardless, I, I, yeah. So I, I have a, not even, it doesn't matter. I get discounts on hunting clothes. And not, it's fucking whatever. Do you want me to cut this out? You're nah, so uncomfortable. It's Look fine. at you. You're red in the face. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. So I, every, I upgraded my butcher kit this year with some Sani Safe knives. The anticipation on that was perfect. Timing yeah. was great. Some Dexter Russell. Sani safes not not dexter russell's first appearance on things no and and it's and it's for for a reason so i have been watching a lot of commercial butchering shows as you do who doesn't um <laughs> i don't know maybe that makes me it's not weird it's cool it's we talked about it last week yeah um so with that i noticed a couple tools that i have just kind of done without I've never had a boning knife and I've never had a butcher's knife. I've always made do with paring knives and chef's knives. So this year for the total cost of like $40, I got a Dexter Russell six inch boning knife and a Dexter Russell eight inch butcher's knife. And they're great. I've used them in the kitchen a couple of times. Just, just, I mean, totally not to their application, just like doing normal kitchen shit. Right. Um, because I got them in the mail, I was like, "Oh my god, what do I do? What do I do? I gotta cut something. I gotta cut something. I gotta cut something." I was like, "I, I, I I'll make, I'll make, uh, I'll make a salad," and I start dicing <laughs> up vegetables and shit. Um, but they're everything that you know and love from Dexter Russell Sani Safe tools. Yeah, they've got that big ass, comfortable grip. Not my style for a chef's knife, mm-hmm. but for a full purchase like really get a hold of it blade it's perfect they're easy to clean they're sharp right out of the package and the steel is great and the steel is great it's easy to keep them sharp easy to keep them sharp easy to hone them they're terrific if you guys if so if you're not dexter russell chef's knives people cool they have an enormous line of other knives if nothing else take up fishing and get a Dexter Russell or a Mora yeah, fillet knife. I think that's the big question, right? Dexter Russell, for me, Dexter Russell or Mora. Yeah, they're probably within $5 of each other. Yeah, Moras are probably a little cheaper. But and and, and arguably cooler. Cooler. Yeah, you're going to you're you're going to get something cooler. Yeah. But you also can't like go down to cash and carry and pick one up. That's right. <laughs> like the food and stuff. <laughs> uh but you can get them on the Amazon. They're like 20 bucks a piece. Uh check them out. I I'm really excited to test mine on several hundred pounds of meat yeah. and see how they hold up. I'm excited for you to get an elk this year. This is the year. This is the year. Yeah. I've been watching Cam Haynes. Uh, Cam Haynes, a, a Lane County celebrity. Uh, Cam hey, Haynes. He's a is, national celebrity. He's a two sport. He's like one of three two sport Under Armour athletes. He, he's, I say Lane County celebrity because he lives you know, approximately 15 minutes from Andrew and I, but he does. Yeah. He's, uh, I I have some trouble. I I have some trouble endorsing him fully with that said, he's this ultra marathon running 
He's a freak. He's a freak. So the guy is not young. No, he's, he's in not his young. Fifties, I mean. at least. I'd say. I'd say he's approaching sixty. No, he's think got. He's that old. His son is an adult. I know that much. His, but they're younger. They're like in their twenties. Young adult, early twenties. He's. He looks like a fucking men's fitness model. He is a men's Men, fitness model. Men's health. Men's health model. Like like a cover model. He, he's cut. Out, and I see this guy. I run around Eugene. I run. You know. Uh, over a thousand miles a year 1500 miles last year is what i estimate that's awful and so i'll see this guy running i'm like the fat old guy running um this guy is running 630 630 pace for like 15 to 20 miles he runs marathons on his lunch break he he does do that's that. real talk so he he's a stud you know we i ran we've got a, a fourth of july race here in town called the butte to butte it's a 10k but to but the butt to butt, you run up the first mile. I think you gain probably eight. I think it's a thousand eight. feet. Is it? I'm like, it's it, a it's neighborhood. Okay. It, yeah. It's a big climb. Yeah. The first mile you climb, and then you come back down that hill, and you finish the last like four miles on flat. But it's a, a it's a really hard run. It's a really hard 10k. And I had a goal two years ago, I think, to run it in 42, and I fell just short. I wanted to be sub-42, and I fell just short of that. This motherfucker runs it in, like, 38-30 at 57 years old or whatever the hell he is. And I, I remember seeing him at the start line, and I was like, I'm going to try to tag on the Kim Haynes. There's no chance. He cooked out, and he's with the elite guys, right? He's, he's phenomenal. One thing, and and Cam, if you listen, I'm not apologetic for this. <laughs> I, so he knows he's a like a, a low level celebrity, but he's a low level. He's a celebrity amongst like a really niche group of people. Yeah, like either ultra marathoners or hunters. Yeah. And there's a there's an intersection of those two types of people in like the last five years, because hunting has seen a resurgence in young people who are looking for sustainable meat practices. I saw him at an airport. And I'm sitting at the bar at like 9 a.m. And he's eating breakfast. And I'm boozing because I'm at an airport at 9 a.m. What else are you going to do? And I look at him and I'm like, man, I fucking know that guy. And it's not our local airport. It's a, it's a large international airport. And I look at him like, man, I know that guy. But why do I know that guy? And I kind of stare at him. And I don't care if I, I'm not the type of person who cares if people notice that I'm staring I just continued. I just <laughs> like you mind your business. You happen to be my business. I'm watching you. So I'm going to mind my business right now. And I'm looking at you. Uh, I'm not, I don't like do the awkward. Oh God, they saw me. No, I just keep looking. Okay. And I make it awkward for them. Um, hot take. That's the strategy. Uh, if they catch you staring, just continue and they'll look away and you can continue. So anyway, I'm staring at him. He looks at me and he kind of looks back down on his breakfast. And I'm like, gotcha, bitch. But who are you? Like what? maybe I just wrecked. Maybe he's just a familiar looking dude. And then he turned enough and I saw the logo on his hat and he looked back up at me and he gave me that like upward head nod. Like, what's up? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, it's Cam Haynes. Oh, that was kind of a weird way to handle that cam. And he walked up. He didn't acknowledge me. I continued to stare at him as he walked away. Like just to kind of maybe force him to be like, Hey dude, I'm Cam Haynes. I, like, I I am I'm assuming you're either a a weirdo, not wrong, true, or b a fan. Nice to meet you. Both things true. No, he, as he walked by, he gave me another little upward, what's up, and just just strolled by. Like those were his acknowledgments. I mean, I was, and as he walked away, I was like, oh, that's Cam. Oh, huh, huh. 
I don't like the way you handle that. Yeah, well, you know, I think being a celebrity is probably difficult. You, you know, we, we we're run celebrities, into, Everett. We run into that all the time. Right? We do. Where people recognize us in airports. It's yeah. really awkward. Um, yeah, I will say if you if you don't know who Cam Haynes is, he did one of these uh, uh, GQ YouTube videos that's like this expert on this subject reviews these movie scenes, and he did Rambo, didn't he? I, he did Rambo, yeah. yeah. So it was like archery scenes from movies because he's that, yeah. he's a professional bow hunter, um, and and he's probably an Olympic caliber archer. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, he really puts in the work. I, I don't think he's ever competed at that level, but I mean, he he does by shooting animals a hundred yards away. That's right. my my comfortable range is about thirty five yards. Cam's like hundred twelve. Gotcha. <laughs> That's right. So if, if you want an introduction, we'll drop a link in the show notes. Andrew, good luck finding it. But Cam Haynes doing, you know, archery scenes from movies. So I have another thing. He's also on Rogan. He's got like three Rogan episodes. Yeah, I think him, and, Rob- I think him and Joe Rogan are homies. They are. Yeah. They're homies. They hunt together. That's Oh, yeah. They, there's a video of him and Joe Rogan hunting mm-hmm. together. Yeah, yeah. Rogan got... I think Cam is actually who got Rogan into hunting. Yeah. And now Rogan's like this... Uh, I mean, he's a huge hunter and is connected with some of the biggest hunting personalities in America. Joe Rogan is such an enigma, man. He doesn't make any sense. I love him. <laughs> I'd let him talk to me for three hours. If I, I mean, I often I'd, have. I'd love to do an Andrew episode, but I won't talk. I promise, Joe. I promise I won't say a I'll fucking word. I'll just let you do your thing. Yeah, just talk to me. Yeah. Well, uh, so your other thing. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was a six-inch... Uh, <laughs> Dexter Russell boning knife and an eight inch butcher's knife. And I cannot wait to put them to meat. And also campaigns. Yeah. Uh, so I've got another thing. My other thing's a little weird because it's maybe not a, just a product. Although, although it, it's something that I will make a recommendation on. I body glide. Body. Everett's legs chafe. That's and a- it's basically a deodorant lube stick. And I will tell you as another thunder thighed individual body glide Everett, you could not have made a better pick this week. So my other thing, it, it's a good one, man. I, we should talk about it at some point. Um, I use the shit. I go through like a stick of body glide every month. Uh, so my other thing is the Oxford cloth button down shirt. Oh, we're going to do this, huh? It's time. Okay. The OCBD, as it were, in the common parlance. Yeah. The Oxford cloth button down shirt. So I am a guy who wears a shirt with buttons on it. Nearly every day. Nearly every day. I wear pants with buttons on it every day. Now, you will oftentimes hear people refer to a dress shirt as a button-down shirt. Wrong. 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 So there is a button-up shirt. That is a shirt that has buttons on the front. Mm-hmm. And there is a button-down shirt, and that is a shirt that has buttons on the points of the collar where you can secure the points of the collar to the shirt itself. And that's not a dress shirt. That's a sports shirt. That's right. That originated from polo, so people weren't losing their fucking tie while they were riding around on horseback. I'm not going to take your other thing, but this is something that gets me fired up. When I see a person in a suit in court with a button-down, it bothers me a little bit. I wear a button-down in court like a motherfucker. But you're an attorney, and you know better. That's the thing. You know better. I know better, it's and a, I still do it. It's a choice. It's not just like, oh, this works. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I wear a button-up shirt nearly every day, and about 95% of those days, I wear a button-down shirt, a shirt where the buttons, where the collar buttons to the shirt. You have owned 
one of these shirts. If you are a man and you're listening to the show, you have owned one. And you were either 13 to 15. It was probably flannel. I know that we have women that listen to the show because you guys occasionally message us, and we're really happy to have you. You may not have owned a button-down shirt, and that's okay. You probably shouldn't. But you should. You should. So the Oxford cloth button-down. Now, so we're, we're going we're gonna to up the ante, right? There's a button-down shirt, and you can find lots of button-down broadcloth shirts, dress shirts. It's a dress shirt with a button-down collar. Fine. I don't care. That's fine. It's fine. I'm specifically talking about a classic Oxford cloth, a, a shirt made from Oxford cloth, which is a, a sort of a soft, wider weave cloth. Non-iron is a no-go. If you've got an Oxford cloth button down and it's a non-iron, I'm telling you, you have not done it. You have not finished. You need a must-iron Oxford cloth button down. Furthermore, I want you to look at the collar. I want you to take this shirt that I'm referring to right now, and you think, ah, I've got one of those. I want you to look at the collar. If the collar is short, mm. if the collar is short and it makes a straight line down to that button, I want you to not wear that shirt anymore. I mean, whatever, whatever, wear it. It's probably a cool shirt. You probably got it at uh, Aeropostal, and it's fantastic, and you love it, and you're always going to wear it, but it's not the 80s anymore. I want you to get an unlined, the collar being unlined, with a long collar. I want Ooh, a long collar from the point of that button to the part where the collar folds. I want that to be too long, making an S curve in the collar. The Oxford cloth button down is the most versatile shirt on the face of the earth. And it's furthermore, it's just about all I wear. Now... There are not very many places that you can buy a good Oxford cloth button down because it's kind of an antiquated style. So there are a few brands. There's a brand called Kamakura, which makes very good Oxford cloth buttons. So I'm not going to go through all the brands. If you want to buy an Oxford cloth button down, look up best places to buy OCBD. Just Google it. I personally prefer the Brooks Brothers, mm -hmm. made in the United States, made in North Carolina, Oxford cloth button down. That's my that's my favorite. It works really well for me. About five years ago, they redesigned this thing because they had kind of gotten away from their roots and they had a lined collar. It was kind of stiff and weird. They now have a, an unlined collar. The collar roll is phenomenal. They cost 140 bucks on the website. You can find them under 100 bucks. Trust me this. Wait for a sale. Buy them for between 80 and 90 bucks. That's the sweet spot. These shirts are the best shirts. It's the best dress shirt you can buy, I think. Most versatile in any event. And it's not a dress shirt. You're right, Andrew. Sport it's a sport shirt. shirt. But if you know what you're doing, that's I the thing, is you know you have to know what you're doing. It's just like we wearing a Speedmaster on an elastic strap. <laughs> Which I am doing right now. Yeah. I'm wearing a Speedmaster on a pajama strap. Nick Mankey. It's man. money. That's you're so we talked about it earlier. That's the first time I put the Speedmaster on and it felt right. It all is down to the shoes. You know, we're going to get Nick Mankey on the show one of these days. He makes these great straps. Uh, look him up, Nick Mankey. But I've got my Speedmaster on a pajama strap from Nick Mankey. It's not what it's called. That's what I call it. But <laughs> it's, it feels like pajamas. And it also makes a Speedmaster. It's the first time I've put it on and been like, I like you. And, and you know what my favorite thing about this is? I just, I keep it closed all the time and I just stretch it over my hand and put it on. And it's, yep. Makes me think a bunk clip would work really well on the Speedmaster. Yeah. But <clears throat> we've Andrew, gone way off. 
so many times. Do you have anything else you want to add today? Way to go. I don't. I'm done. No, I'm A lot done. of things. I'm done too. So thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 at the Watch Clicker. Check us out on watchclicker.com. That's the website, you guys. That's where we have all our reviews. We post the podcast there every week. If you want to support us, most importantly, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's where we get all the support for the show, including, you know, hosting fees, which are not cheap. No, we got a lot of shit on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check us out next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.